We've been talking about Holy Spirit. It was kind of a surprise coming into this year when um, what happened happened, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, there's a whole lot more that I want to do this year, and, and my church needs to become more familiar with how I work. And uh, I've said this many times over the years that the, the mature church has three things in it. It has the Word of God operating, it has the gifts of the Spirit operating, and it has the fruit of the Spirit. Then if you look back to uh, when the first time the glory came was in the Ark of the Covenant. There were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. Moses, Aaron's rod that budded, the Ten Commandments, and the pot of manna. Those three things represent the Word, the fruit, and the gifts. So the glory of God comes into something when the word of God is there, when the fruit of the spirit is there. In other words, we're not lying. We're not cheating on our taxes. We're not cheating on our husbands or our wives. You know, those sorts of things. The fruit of the spirit where love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, faith, temperance, and so forth are living out of our lives. But the one area that it seems the church so quickly and easily moves away from is the gifts of the spirit. Because the spirit is a spirit, he's supernatural. Because he's supernatural, it draws a line in the sand and we don't know how to cross that line because it doesn't make sense. And I've said this so many times over the years, why should it be strange or weird to us that when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we get a new language that doesn't come from our speech center? They've wired Christians up Scientists have wired Christians up, and when they speak in tongues, it doesn't come from the speech center in the left side of the brain. It comes from other places on the other side of the brain. And they're like, what's with this? This isn't even coming from where you speak. Why? Because your spirit flows more through the creative side of your, of your brain than it does through the logical or progressive side. So I don't know why people get weirded out by tongues, because tongues is simply a first step of something supernatural. And as I've said many times, it's either God or the devil or it's foolishness. It's one or the other. Either you're making it up or the devil's making it up or God's doing it through you. And the interesting thing about praying in tongues is you can't do it without him, but he won't do it without you. And so for some of you that have been filled with the spirit uh, just recently in the last uh, you know, month or so, then, and people have said this to me for, for 30 years, well, I feel like I'm making this up when I pray in tongues. Well, every time I speak in tongues, I'm the one doing it. What is it? It's a heavenly language that God blesses you with, and it's the first step of stepping across into, okay, I trust you. I trust that this is supernatural. As I shared with you last week, I was so blessed to find out that just last fall, Max Lucado got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues for the first time and shared the beautiful experience of praying one morning and beginning to pray in a heavenly language. You know, a man with, with a, that kind of character and that kind of influence in the body of Christ will, will allow others to get hungry for the same thing, okay? So we're talking about how the Holy Spirit works. And I've said this, that the Holy Spirit is the gifts and the Holy Spirit is the anointing. So when we use the term the anointing, let me, let me say it this way. He defines himself in different ways so that we can receive from him. So, so when, when he talks about, you know, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, the gifts of the Spirit, as soon as you and I think of a gift, if, if we think right, we think of a gift as something that's given. 
I've had people say to me over the years, well, I don't, I don't think I'm ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say, why? Well, you know, there's things in my life I've got to straighten up before I can. And, and, and my answer after a few years was, so if it was your son's birthday or your daughter's birthday and you came to the birthday and you went to give them a gift because you love them and they said, well, I'm, I, I can't receive that gift today, dad. Why not? Well, you know how bad I am at cleaning my room. Well, you just shake your head and go, boy, something wrong with you. Why? Because the gift has nothing to do with your child earning the gift. It's a free gift. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. People think, well, I'm not good enough. Since when did you get good enough to receive a gift? That's right. The gift is always based on the merits of the giver, not the receiver. Yeah. Right? For when we were still in sin, God sent his only beloved son to redeem us. So, so he defines himself as gifts so that we can go, okay, I can receive this. He also defines himself as the anointing. Jesus Christ, the word Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. So he defines himself as the anointing because there's a tangibility to that. A gift tends to, to think of something singular that's kind of like, oh, it's, it's a gift. Okay, how does that work? But when we say the anointing, the anointing can be thought of as, okay, so there's a tangibleness here. Remember, Jesus didn't do any miracles, any healings, any deliverances until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And his message for that first while of the Spirit of the Lord, according to Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And I like that because if Jesus, who was just as much the Son of God at 29 years of age, never did one miracle until he was 30 years of age, he did that to show us that the same Spirit that he received, we can receive. He actually said that to the disciples. Remember James and John sent mom over? Said, mom, go ask him if we can sit on the right hand and the left. I always thought, you have enough guts to go up and ask Jesus yourself? You sent your mom? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but if those were my disciples, we'd have a little, a little post-service talk <laughs> about, he sent mom to ask me if I could bring you on staff? Like, hello, that would tell me right there that you're not ready. But, but what's interesting is that he said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And that can be taken a number of ways, but obviously he was baptized with the Holy Spirit when he came up out of the water and the Spirit came down upon him. Well, he was saying, yeah, they said, yeah, we are. They had no idea what they were saying. But they got filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, so they got the same baptism that he was baptized with. So Holy Spirit will, will express himself or, or define himself as the anointing because the anointing is something that we can go, okay, I'll receive that. I'll receive a transference or an, <clears throat> an impartation. Now, <clears throat> the purpose of the anointing was to break the yokes off of people and bring the blessing of the kingdom into their lives. And I'm reiterating those things so that you guys remember when somebody says, well, what, what, what does the anointing do? The anointing breaks yokes. Isaiah 10, 27. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing, <clears throat> right? So that's the purpose of the anointing. And it releases the things of the kingdom into your life. Remember this. If God's dealing with something traumatic in your heart or in your soul, and it was emotional when it went in, it's likely going to be emotional when it comes out. And I don't mean a spirit coming in or going out. I just simply mean the trauma of something happening where, where a part of you shuts down and gets pushed away because it's too hard to deal with. You know, we talk about post-traumatic stress syndrome and those kinds of things that have happened to us. If it's an emotional going in, <clears throat> oftentimes it's emotional coming out. 
But thankfully, God can take five years of what was emotional going in. Maybe it was abuse when you were a kid. Maybe it was a terrible self-image or, or this or that. He can take five years of that, and in five Sundays, he can fix all of that when you get prayed for. It's just, it, it's just, it's, he's, he's just a lot faster, and he's a lot better. <clears throat> so Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is, uh, God is upon me because he's anointed me. And I want you to notice, as I read through this, Ask yourself if, as I go through it, if there's something there that you think, I need that. Because we're talking about why the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Okay, so as I read it, you think, oh, I could use that. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Well, that's a pretty good one right there, right? He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Hmm, you've been mourning recently? Apparently, if you're in mourning, there's a comfort that will undo the mourning. Uh, let me say something. Mornings always come to an end because the sun comes up. The play on words. You think about what I said. It never stays mourning. Morning always moves into daytime. Why? Because the sun comes up and everything's exposed. God will do that. You know how you can tell when you're healed emotionally from something? The memory is still there, but there's no uh, attached to it. There's no emotional tag to it. You can remember. I remember that happened. But it's almost like it didn't happen to you. You remember it, but there's, no, there's nothing there that, uh, that still hurts or makes you draw back. That's how you can tell. It's called healing of memories. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So all these things here, what did he say? The anointing does. It heals. It sets captives free. Emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. Whatever. Even, you know, people in jail. To comfort. To give beauty for ashes. I think it's, it's interesting. Only God can bring something beautiful out of ashes. Like when you've got ashes, we, we live on an acreage and we still, we still burn all of our dry garbage. And it's just amazing to me how when I put that stuff in there, it doesn't matter what I put in. Once the raging fire takes it, it's just ashes. There's nothing you can do with those ashes. And God says, no, I can take ashes and I can bring something that's beautiful out of them. He's the only one that can do that. <clears throat> to bring joy in the garment of praise. So if you need more of any of these things, then... Open your heart to receive prayer each Sunday in this season that we're focusing on this. Don't, don't say, well, I got prayed for a couple of times. And I mean, by saying what I'm saying right now, I'm making our job harder because it makes it longer uh, uh, for us up here praying for people and all of that. But God led us into this season and said, you pray for people. You let the anointing flow. You let people be touched by this. Some have never felt my presence and, like this, and I want them to feel my presence more. I want them to feel my love more. That means that there's an emotional connection that many of us who serve God for years and years have never made with God, an emotional nearness. Okay, you follow me? Now, let's look a little bit today. Go with me over Mark chapter 5. And let's look at how is anointing transferred? And what stops it from being transferred? Remember that I said before that the anointing can be received and it can be released and there can be impartation. Jesus laying hands on the little children is one of the best examples. 
Lay hands on no man suddenly. Why? Because something's going to be transferred to that person, and you need to know that God is saying to do that. I'll show you a couple of interesting things here. In Mark chapter 5, this is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture as there's just so much in it. Verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Remember that this is in his hometown of Capernaum. Okay, so this is, he's coming back home. He lives here. So he's known here. In verse 22, Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So there's his faith speaking. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that affliction. Jesus knowing immediately in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And I always liked this story because of the, the method of transfer, because of the, 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 the structure, the way that this happened. So, yeah, so this is the question the Lord asked me years and years ago when I was first studying this. What made her well? Jesus said, your faith did it. But what if she'd have laid her hand on somebody else? What if she'd have laid her hand on one of the Pharisees that was in the crowd or one of the priests with their shawls and their tassels? What if she'd have got up to them? They weren't carrying the anointing, were they? Not the anointing that Jesus was carrying. They may have been carrying the priest's anointing. So what made her well? Was it the anointing on Jesus moving as working of miracles or gifts of healings? We don't know which. Or was it her faith? Well, you guys know the answer. Yes. It was both. Faith is the hand that receives from God. Think about this. How many people were in that crowd that as Jesus walked by, they went like this? He said, the disciples said, the multitude's thronging you. Many are touching you. So people were getting up to get close to Jesus to see and to touch. And nobody got healed but this one woman. And the reason he stopped the whole thing was he's there like a nuclear generator of answers and power for anybody that had any malady. And he stopped it to say, it was your faith that did this as a lesson to the people that were walking in the crowd in his own hometown. Because so many touched him and didn't receive. Don't, you guys, don't come up to the altar and go, well, I I sure hope something happens. I mean, you know, it's like Charlie, when he was here there a couple weeks ago, and he said that the guy said to him when he was standing in the prayer line, before Charlie even prayed for him, the guy said, Benny Hinn prayed for me. I don't know about you, but 
I mean, if Benny prayed for the guy and I was there next week, I'd be kind of like, nice. <laughs> and then he said, then, then, then he said to him, when he, before he got a hand on him, he said, Reinhard Bonnke prayed for me too. I've been in both of those anointings. Those are big anointings. Those are anointings that'll change stuff. So don't, don't come up with, uh, well, let's see what the p- preacher's got. Well, let's see what Pastor Clive has today. You see if he's, if he's, did he fast and pray this week? You know, I found something out years ago that you can have an eight out of 10 anointing on the preacher and a 1.5 of faith on the part of the recipient and not very much will happen. But you can have a three anointing on the preacher and the person coming up in the, in the prayer line has wide open faith and they get an eight out of 10 impartation. I've just, I've watched over the years. There's been times when I've prayed for people with no anointing at the end of a series of meetings and you're tired and you just want to go home and then the Lord says, I want you to pray for people and you argue in your mind before your sermon is done going, God, come on. This is meeting number six. Tomorrow I got to get on the plane and fly four hours back. But because the anointing's still there and you do it, and so you're praying for people, and sometimes the anointing, the anointing to do it lifts. It's like God's, God's, okay, God's done. And you just, you're like, okay, I'm laying hands on people by faith. And then people get sapped, and they get touched, and they get healed. You know, maybe it's because you come to the end of yourself or whatever. But what's interesting to me is when you feel sometimes that the anointing is gone, but people come up with that, I'm hungry. And they draw, that draw does more than what we release. I'm going to say that again. That draw does more than what we release. And that's what Jesus said to the woman right here. Remember what I said before, that the power to heal her went out of him before Jesus made a conscious choice to put it out of him or not. She put a draw on something, boom, that healed her from 12 years of that, that blood issue Bang, just like that. She felt in her body. It's always interesting to me because people say, well, you know, Holy Spirit's kind of, you can't really, can't really feel like that. Wait a minute. The Bible says she felt in her body. So boom, something happened and she knew, oh my goodness, something's changed. And Jesus said, for I felt power leave me. So he felt that anointing go out of him. Why is it that we don't think we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit moving on us? Because we condition ourselves to intellectually scrutinize Christianity and scrutinize spiritual things. And so if it doesn't come through an intellectual channel, and you guys have heard me say this, but I, I harp on this because this is one of our biggest impediments in the Western church. We have, we have restricted our emotional ability to respond because the culture says if you, do, if you cry in public and you're a man, you are totally showing weakness. I'm going to preach this way for a while. Because boy, oh boy, some of you are like... <laughs> the transference took place because there was an anointing on Jesus and the woman believed that she would receive something. And apparently all those other guys in the crowd either didn't know they could receive something or were in unbelief. They were just there to watch. Let's go see what happens. You know what's funny? If you follow God to go and see what happens, you'll miss 80% of what happens. I found something out years ago that when it comes to the move of God, there's people that make it happen. There's people that watch it happen. And there's people that go, what happened? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true. I mean, it's funny, but it's true. What just happened today? Well, Holy Ghost was all over the place. People were being touched and, and being changed. Is that what that was? Why? Because we don't know, right? We have to, you have to go through. A, a man with an encounter is never at the mercy of a man with a doctrine. Let me keep reading. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You ever notice that when you're feeling down, the enemy always comes and, and does a little kick when you're down? When you're, you've got that last little thread, Lord, if you'll come and lay your hands on her, she'll, she'll be okay. You know, she's very sick, but if you'll come and, and old bad news comes along and says, well, she's dead now. What a thing to say, don't trouble, don't trouble the guy anymore because she's dead. I mean, talk about nails in your coffin. Dear God, I think I would have fired that servant on the spot. But, that, but remember that because when you're, when you're holding on that thread of belief is oftentimes when the enemy will come and he'll throw something at you to go, yeah, what's the use? I mean, you, you know what? You gave it your best shot. Way to go. Maybe you'll get it next time. You know, this one's too big for you. All that stuff that he comes. Let me tell you something that God never, ever, 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 ever uses. Doubt. He never uses it. He never uses unbelief. He never uses criticism or guilt. How much of the church is motivated by guilt because of our mistakes? Well, how do you know that? Because there's no guilt in heaven. Because Jesus already took our guilt. If you struggle with guilt, it's the devil. It's not God. And you've let him get a hold of you because of your weakness. Oh, I got to touch on this. Okay. Do you know what iniquity is? A sin is a sin. When you sin and you blow it, it's a sin. You know what an iniquity is? Iniquity is a, something that's been taken and bent so that it can't function the normal way. And an iniquity is something that happens in your life over and over and over and over and over again. An iniquity is something that it seems almost impossible to overcome. And the Bible says this, that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we are healed. So Jesus didn't, didn't listen to me. For those of you that struggle with guilt, Jesus didn't just die to take care of the sins that you do. So you can do 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's, he's uh, faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he died to break the power of the iniquity. So when that iniquity, and, and sometimes sins or iniquities are like a little dog at your heels. As you walk through life, they just yap, yap, yap. And they come up and they nip you every once in a while. And it's, it's something, get out of here, scoot. And he runs away back that far. And you know what? There's some of those things, maybe it's generational. Maybe there's more there than what we know about. That it may follow you through your whole life. And I'm not saying that to give us a license to just go, well, just let the little dog yap, you know. <clears throat> but what I'm saying it for is to move you away from the guilt of when that thing nips at your heels and you're doing your best to walk with Jesus and you're doing your best to overcome. John said in 1 John, nobody has no sin. 
We all sin. And if somebody says they don't have any sin, they're a liar. This is the same guy that said that if we love him, we sin not. In the same book. Meaning what? That we don't have a practice or an intention or a, yeah, we just sin and no big deal. That's what he's talking about. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So Jesus died to take care of those iniquities, those things that bite at our heels and follow us through life. Why do I say that? So that you can go, when you're dealing with an iniquity, you can say, Father, Jesus bore this iniquity. And he knows how long it's going to take me to either grow enough or be strong enough or increase enough to overcome this. So I thank you that this thing has been dealt with and I refuse to carry guilt over this in Jesus' name. Guilt is a really good short-term motivator. I say that tongue-in-cheek. It's not a good motivator at all. If you carry guilt for a while, they say it starts to affect your body, it starts to affect your heart, it affects your stomach, because that guilt has to go somewhere in your body. Your body is the, is the reservoir for the emotional things that we don't process. That's why heart disease is heart disease that comes from stress, because it has to go somewhere when we just refuse to acknowledge it. I don't know who this is for, and it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about there. But for some of you that struggle with guilt, dear God, you can be set free. Lord, in the name of Jesus, right now, we pray over every person that struggles with guilt. I name you guilt as an attack of the enemy, and I command you to cease your operations and desist your maneuvers against the people of God. Now, as I pray this, you repent for the guilt, and just open your heart up and say, God, I'm not doing that anymore. Anymore. Lord, in Jesus' name, for every person who has embraced guilt, thinking that it was normal, we first of all repent and ask for your forgiveness for believing something so wrong and so squirrely. But in the name of Jesus now, we receive the answers, Lord, that Christ himself took my iniquities, was bruised for my iniquities, and I give this whole thing to you, and I thank you that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, and I can do all things that strengthen me. So guilt, I name you, I don't partner with you, I rebuke you, go from me, I give you no place in my life. In Jesus' name, I say that over you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, we should take up another offering just for that bit right there. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word, verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Luke's gospel, in the, quoting the same thing, says this, <clears throat> and she will be made well. So he hears the word. Now think about this. He may have had faith for her healing, but faith for death is a whole nother step. Like that's just the woo, you know, where there's life, there's hope sort of thing. So Jesus says to him, he gives him a positive word to link his faith to after the negative word, which would destroy your faith because faith comes by hearing, but it also goes by doubting. Are you following me? So this guy hears the word and he's, he's like, Jesus goes, wait a minute, don't you be afraid, only believe, and she will live. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is like, I can handle this. I've got this. But there's something really, really interesting here. 
Apparently, Jairus' faith was important enough for Jesus to bring up in order to perform the miracle he had in mind. Because you guys, so you got to ask yourself a question right here. Well, was Jesus, could Jesus do this because he's Jesus? Well, the answer is obviously yes. There are instances in here where Jesus healed people and didn't ask for their faith. But, but, but there's something here that goes to another level because Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. Maybe Jesus wants to help him out. Maybe he knows that Jairus, as a ruler of the synagogue, will spread this and help other people. He's, he's somebody that's on Jesus' side. He's somebody that would work with Jesus instead of being against him, which is something because so many of the Pharisees and the priests were against Jesus because he didn't go to their rabbinical school and he didn't go by their rules and their, their law, as I said last week. The law didn't apply to Jesus. But Jesus said that Jairus' faith was important enough and it makes you wonder, did it, did it make it easier for Jesus to perform the miracle? How about this? Did it create a connection place where Jesus could more easily release the power of God? There's something there that he said, I need your faith. If he didn't need it, I want your faith. Keep your faith alive. I can do this. Only believe, he said. You just keep believing. Why? Because there was something about his believing that gave a greater, and of course, we just saw it with the woman with the issue of blood. Woman, your faith did this. So Jesus pulled him right back up, said, you keep believing. Jesus did this. And I'm, I'm harping on this for a reason, because I'm going to show you here in a minute what, 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 what I'm talking about when it comes to transference. Verse 37, notice this. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And verse 38 says, then he came to the house. So as soon, this is, this is wonderful. I gotta go up here so you can see it. As soon as the bad news comes and says, don't trouble the teacher anymore, your daughter's dead. Don't be afraid, only believe and she'll be made well. Jairus is like, okay. And Jesus stops the whole crowd. Everybody, I'm going to this house so you guys go home, you guys stay here. You guys. He didn't go in and stop the people from coming at the house. Right there on the street, however far they were away, he told everybody to go except Peter, James, and John. I wonder how Nathaniel and Bartholomew and Simon felt, Simeon, Simon the Zealot. All of a sudden, Jesus says to the other nine disciples in the whole crowd, you guys all stay here. Now, I don't know about you, but when I study the Bible, I make, I, I'm like, why? Why'd you do that? So I ask you the question, and I'll answer it here in the middle. I wonder why he let no one follow. Verse 38. He came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, <clears throat> and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Why did they do that? They were professional mourners. They got hired to mourn. So they, you know, and they, the Bible says, it talks about that they have, uh, in another in instance, they had flutes and they have instruments. So <laughs> I never thought of this until uh, yesterday when I was looking over these and I thought, you know, you can just see them. 
Two days before that, sitting down, you know, and whatever the name of the group was, you know, the mournful four. And so they're, they're sitting, well, so what do we got this weekend? Well, okay, let's see. Tomorrow we got the bar mitzvah tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. And uh, then uh, later in the afternoon, uh, it's likely that Jairus' daughter's going to die. So let's plan for the, for the Jairus' daughter mourning at about 2. Okay, we got enough mourners? Yeah, any flute players? No, we only got one flute player this week. Okay, we need another mourner. Like, who can we get? Is there anybody that can mourn in soprano? <laughs> I'm being silly, but they, this is what they did for a living. They got hired to come and mourn. What a job. It was a dead-end job, really. The child is not dead but sleeping, and they ridiculed him. Think about this. I, I love this picture. I'm going to ask for the replay when we get to heaven on this. And I, I just saw this recently on The Chosen, and, and I, I, I felt like they didn't do what really happened because they're making Jesus nice. Like, Jesus is always nice. You ever notice that? He's just nice all the time. Jesus is nice. <clears throat> but when Jesus met devils, he wasn't nice. And then the Bible says he commanded with a loud voice. So he didn't say, be quiet and come out. Shut up! Come out! It was like, it was like, I mean, they were like, whoa, okay, let's go. But I read this, and, and, and it says, and they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, what was the voice like that he used to put them outside? Because they're making fun of, they're, they're mocking him. What do you know? What do you know? We know she's dead. We don't, hey, we don't get hired unless she's dead, dude. Like, get a grip, you know? And Jesus dealing with these mourners, and there's a reason that he put them out. I believe he just put a stop to it. Hey, I set everybody out with authority. Do you remember the authority that he had when he was standing there uh, when the soldiers came out to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. About 100 of them, 150 somewhere in there. He said, I am you look in the original language, that's what he said. It's italicized. The he is italicized. Jesus said, I am. And the Bible says the funniest thing. And they all went backwards and fell to the ground. <laughs> I'm looking forward to those days, Pastor Clive. We have an altar call of people and I go, he is. Everybody falls down. Well, that was easy. Let's go for coffee. He said, he used that voice. He spoke as the son of God. I am. And 150 soldiers fall out. If I was one of those soldiers, I would have stopped and thought right there. What happens if he gets mad? Let fire come down. There goes 150 soldiers. That thing of ashes again. But he put them outside. I believe that he spoke straight up and put them outside. He took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and, went and entered in where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was of 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Look at verse 43. <laughs> I love what God does with his word. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And said they should give her something to eat. Commanded them strictly. Now we think, well, he just did that because he was humble. Don't we? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. It's exactly what we think. But, but he, 
He didn't suggest to them, look, guys, don't tell anybody, you know. It's not my time yet. No, it was his time. The only time he said it was not my time was when they, they ran out of wine. And mom comes up, who obviously was helping with the, with the serving, and mom comes up and says they're out of wine. What did he say? Woman, try starting a conversation with your mom that way. <laughs> See how far you get. Woman, woman, it's not my time. <laughs> she didn't even listen. She just turned and said to the chief steward, whatever he says, do it, and walks off. And this is the funniest thing, because there's Jesus who only does what the father shows him, and obviously the father hasn't showed him, but now mom walks onto the scene. Who am I going to obey, dad or mom? He obeyed mom. <laughs> Some of you are like... He said it's not my time, meaning my time has not yet come. But here's the reason I bring it up. Because somebody with a need and faith in who he was pulled his time quicker. Whoa, there's a whole bunch right there. I mean... You know what else is really something about that? And, and, and if this offends you, and I'm rubbing the fur the wrong way, just turn the cat around. <laughs> you know, you pet the cat the wrong way, you get all that static. Some of you, I can already see, your hackles are... <sighs> he, what, what, what turned the water into wine? What gift? Working miracles. miracles. Bible says it was the first gift that he showed forth his... His glory. Now, just chill for a minute here, okay? Especially those of you that don't drink wine. <laughs> he used the gift of working of miracles to keep wine at the party. Nobody got healed. No devils got cast out. Nobody had an encounter except maybe the guys that knew that... that Nobody else knew unless the word got out that he did the one. He used the gift of working of miracles. Wonder if he was in Germany, if he would have used it to make beer. Come on. I'm not, I'm not being trite and I'm not being crude. I'm saying you and I, would we ever use the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit if the party we were at ran out of wine, the, the wedding we were at? We don't even think like that. We just think, now. But the Bible says he showed forth his glory. Do you know another time when he used the, the gift of uh, um, word of wisdom? He's coming walking into the city for the Last Supper. And the boys, he says, boys, I want you to go into town and prepare a room. They said, where? He said, when you walk in, you'll meet a guy with a donkey. Or a pitcher on his head, pardon me. Follow the guy to, with the pitcher on his head till you get to the house where he is and talk to the master and tell him you need the upper room. The Lord has need of the room. And he sends the same guys in, or two other guys, in that same uh, whole thing there. To, sorry, two different stories. But the other one, he says, uh, you know what? I need a donkey to ride on. Go into town, you'll see a donkey tied. And uh, take it and bring it out to me. Oh, and by the way, if the owner says, what are you doing? Tell him it's for me. He used the gifts of the Spirit to get a taxi into the city. 
Come on, you guys. Would we ever do that? You fly into some place, you get the airport, some, and you're like, Lord, I need a gift of the Spirit, the word of wisdom. Take taxi number seven. The guy's a Christian. I want you to speak to him. Oh, okay. Do you see how we spiritualize everything? Jesus didn't get the donkey saved. <laughs> I realized that some of you just messed you right up. He used the gifts of the Spirit for things that we wouldn't use it for. Do you remember when he was walking across the lake? Peter gets up, Lord, if it's you, big me, come. He gets out, he sinks, he picks him up, he gets back in the boat. And the Bible says, I believe it's in John's gospel, it says, and immediately the boat was at the other side. Jesus gets back in the boat with, with Peter. They sit down. The boys go to row. Clunk. My oar is hitting the dock. Instantaneously transported the boat and 12 guys and himself with all the gears and the net and everything like that instantaneously to the other side of the lake. And the only reason that I could think of that as I went through that with him doing this kind of stuff, the only reason I could think of it, I said, Lord, do you remember the Bible says he would have passed them by? That he was walking on the water and would have passed them by. The Bible says he would have passed them by. I've told you this before. I asked the Lord why. He said, because I was making better time than they were. That's, that's the Lord's sense of humor. But that's when, when I, I said, okay, that's funny. But there's more. I know there's more because he said, I always come close enough to help you with your problem, but I don't come and get in your boat. Why on earth would he come and get in their boat and sit there for another three and a half hours while they try and Ross, why? He'd be at home in bed before they got to the dock. Do you see the practicality of what I'm talking about here? Why did he translate the boat to the other side of the, of the lake? Because he didn't want to sit there for another three and a half hours rowing. He wanted to get the boys home and go to bed because tomorrow's another day of full ministry. He'd just been ministering to the crowd for two to three days. Boom, uses the gift of the Spirit, working in miracles to translate himself, the boat, and everything to the other side of the lake. Why? To go home and go to bed. Now, was it an example to the boys of the supernatural? Yes, but think about this. The stories of Jesus' miracles in the Bible aren't in there so God can show off in his book. They're there as illustrations of what those who believe can do if they have faith. The works that I do shall you do also in greater works. Oh, I got to finish. Okay, so he, I said here, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and they should give him someone to eat. Why did he command them strictly? Why did he limit the people that came with him? Why did he kick the mourners out of the room? If you read in Matthew 11, there were three cities that Jesus rebuked. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. He said, woe to these cities because of the miracles he'd done in them and their refusal to repent and acknowledge what was done. He even said it would be more tolerable for Sodom than for them. So we're talking some serious unbelief here with the son of God walking as a man on the earth. Why did he stop the people? Why did he take them, kick them out of the room? Because the cities had created an atmosphere of unbelief and every time Jesus did a miracle or a healing there, some people hardened their hearts even more which would increase the judgment upon them. So he spared them judgment by saying, 
Don't go and tell anybody what happened to your little girl. Don't spread it. Why? Because as soon as you walk out this room and you start telling everybody, Jesus raised my little girl from the dead, some of the people whose hearts are hard and some of the people in this city who don't believe, their judgment's going to go up because their unbelief is going to increase. Well, he's just doing it by, by sorcery. And Jesus, in his mercy, said, don't tell anybody. It wasn't because he was humble. Yes, he was humble, but he was sparing the people judgment, and he was also having to get away from that atmosphere of unbelief. Let's keep reading. We'll finish with this, Mark chapter 6. He went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. This is in his own area, in Nazareth. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter? This is the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? Look at the next line. They were offended at him because he came in there all high and mighty with all this reputation of all the things that had done somewhere else. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And the next verse is... is, is the final straw. He could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. I like the last line. He went about in the villages, about the villages in a circuit teaching. Why did he do that? He went about teaching in the villages because faith comes by hearing and if people will hear and attach their faith, it'll move them out of unbelief. It'll move them out of being offended. But the Greek language literally says there that he laid hands on some, on some people with minor ailments and healed them. And here's a guy who is anointed without measure. Oh my goodness. He has limitless anointing. And what does he get healed? A couple of colds, stub toe, a sprained finger. Yeah, I've had this little runny nose thing. Okay. Imagine that. Jesus could do. It doesn't say wouldn't. It says could do. Oh, Brother Hagin said something like that years and years ago in, in, on this scripture. He said, there are some atmospheres that your faith just won't work at all because of the unbelief. He said, and you just need to get out of there. Now, that was 30 some years, 40 years ago. What's interesting is that now in the next generation, there's a boldness of faith that walks right in, in some of the young people, right into where it's all unbelief with witches and warlocks and covens and all that walks right in there and says, I'm gonna pray for you and you're gonna get healed. Well, I don't believe in your God. Well, I didn't ask you if you believe in my, the Lord just showed me your left knee is all hurting and in pain and I'm gonna pray for it and it'll get healed. Well, I don't want you to pray for me. That's okay, I'm gonna pray for you anyways and God's gonna heal your knee. It's, it's another level of faith that's coming up in this last day's generation. Glory to God. But my point is here that this thing with Jesus, the transference couldn't take place because the unbelief in the place. Do you know, I've been in churches where I've gone and preached and you preach in the church and it's like throwing a ball out and the ball goes out and instead of being grabbed a hold of, it hits the back wall and it bounces right back and hits you in the face because there's so much unbelief in the church that you can hardly even release anything. Right. Then it's, you know, because we traveled full time for 10 years. 
and, and watching that happen and thinking, God, what's going on here? Then you come to find out later on there's all kinds of skeletons in the closet and the deacons hate each other and the deacons hate the pastor and the pastor hates the church and wishes he wasn't there and all that kind of garbage and nothing ever works in the place because the spirit of division is rife in the house and you can't do anything. I remember one time the people, that the elders brought me in to preach something they believed but the pastor didn't believe it. That was fun. Go walking in there and, the, and somebody introduced me to the pastor. I thought it was the pastor that had me come in, introduced me to the pastor, you know, and I shook the pastor's hand. He, he was very aloof. He didn't want me there. And he sat on the front row for all three meetings just like this. How much is actually going to happen in that church if the pastor and the leaders don't actually come together in a spirit of unity? You can preach your face off. You can, you can lay hands on people and, and it won't even happen. Let's finish with this thought here. How do I believe for a transfer? Do you ever find this out? Doubting is easy, but faith takes effort. <laughs> they come up to the thing. Well, I sure hope I get something. Well, you know, we all deal with that. It's easy to doubt, isn't it? I don't feel anything. Oh, well, maybe next time. If, if, if it's imparted from God's spirit to your spirit, how do you know if it was, it was transferred if there's no feeling? What if it was put into your spirit as a seed and it's going to take a week or two weeks or three weeks to begin to grow in there, but as soon as you go, well, I guess nothing happened, then what you did is you just shut off anything because we want to feel something in our body or in our mind. And that's nice. Feeling is wonderful. I love it when we feel it. But don't think, well, I got prayed for and I didn't feel anything, so nothing happened. Where's your faith? Every time, every time, every time, every time I ever get prayed for and hands laid on me, every time, I say, God, in the name of Jesus, the moment hands are laid on me, I believe for a transference. I realize this person's just a person, but you said we were supposed to lay hands on each other. For, so I believe for a transference for what I'm up here for. Whatever the altar call was for, I just put my faith out in Jesus' name. Now, let me, let me tell you how to do that. When you come up to get prayed for, don't, don't, don't go like, because this, this is the natural. Okay. Some of you are praying in tongues so hard, it's like a fountain splashing out, and we're trying to put something in, and it's just like. Because you're so hard. You can't give and take at the same time. Just shut up all that stuff. Just, just chill out, man. Like, take a pill, you know? When you get prayed for, come up and say, God, here I am. Get your systems to rest. <sighs> Lord, I trust you. And I believe whatever you have for me today, I want more. You might come up with a specific need. You might not. And then add your faith to that. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you that you're helping me. Stand up with me. You get something out of this today? So, so let's do this. People with children. <laughs> I'm trying to be functional here. If you've got kids and you want to get prayed for before you pick your kids up, um, come up real quick. Pastors, if you would come up. Some of our altar prayers, if you would come up. You might be on the altar prayer team uh, on today and you might just be regular altar prayer, but you're not on. But if you want to come up and get in to this. And then if you want prayer... Um, Pastor, or pastors with kids. If you want prayer and you've got kids, then you come up. Lord, we're believing together that over the course of these weeks, in a season of impartation, however long it's for, 
You know, um, Nick came up, what was it, three weeks ago? And grab a mic, Joshua, would you, real quick? I call him Big Tall Nick. That's how I remember him. But just give us the two-minute version of, of what happened. You came up, what would you come up for? for and and I, I had because you'd run camera the whole service right I had, Both yeah, services. yeah and um, I just I, I totally felt the presence of God and 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 I was totally overwhelmed by that had forgotten about my my back and um, as I walked to the to the back I I so you got prayed for. I got prayed for, and then I, and then when I returned, I, I thought, oh, I wonder about my back, and I was like, I am, I've been healed, and I, I started dancing. Yeah. I remember that day. You were one of the last ones up because we'd all been here for a long time. Most of the people had left. You were standing right over there, and uh, somebody prayed for him. Just prayed. I don't think they even knew that he was up for the back. They just prayed and released the anointing. And so God blessed him with his presence. But then on the way back, the back gets healed. And I never found out till that week. Later on, you told somebody and one of the pastors, and they told me, you know, Nick got his back healed last Sunday. And we didn't pray for healing. We just prayed for Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Ushers, we got enough ushers behind them all. Would you stretch your hands out towards these guys? Lord, right now. There's the anointing right there. Just draw that. Just draw that right there. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, come and do. Let's make sure we get a catcher with each pastor. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Father, we thank you today that Holy Spirit comes because we love you. We love your presence. We thank you for your anointing. It's your anointing that breaks the yokes this morning. It's your anointing of transference, Lord. You're the one that sets the captives free. There it is right there. Sweet, sweet anointing. That flows from deep within Sweet, sweet anointing That cleanses from all sin There it is right there Just a sweet little presence Sweet presence Sweet presence Sweet presence Need one of our ladies if you could come and do some uh, cloths for us. Sweet presence. Sweet presence. Sweet presence. Sweet presence. 
And when you're ready for prayer, you just come up and find a spot up here. When you get prayed for, if you fall out, then stay there for a little bit or go back to your seat and just let it work on you for a little while. Sweet anointing, flow on me, sweet anointing. Fill me, flood me, flow through me, come down on me, sweet anointing, more and more and more and more, more and more and more and more, more and more and more and more. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your anointing, Lord. Thank you for your anointing. Here for your presence. I'm here for more. Here for your anointing. Open up the door. Come and fill me now. Come and flood me now. Come and move upon my heart. Come and move upon my heart. I received this morning. I received this morning. If you've been dealing with guilt this morning, if you're one of those ones, just come up and join the line somewhere. Let us release the peace over that that gets rid of it. If you want prayer, now's a good time to come. Just come and find a spot. us online today. I hope the message encouraged and blessed you. You know, you can stay up to date with all things Southside by following us on social media, downloading our app, or checking out our website at sbcf.ca. You can also get to know more about my wife and I by following Times of Refreshing on Facebook and Instagram. And thanks everyone for joining us today in building a community of believers together. Have a great week, and you know what? When you get a chance, come and join us here at the church in Calgary. You'll be blessed by it. Whoa.